Welcome to this week's episode of the Live from Lake Balfour podcast. I'm your host, Maddie Wasserman. Thank you for joining us this week. We have a jam-packed episode today. We are going to be talking about a few camp subjects with Greg and Danny Silver. We're going to be talking about cleanup jobs and... We're going to be debating, you know, which one's the most important essential to the bunk. If you're lazy, which one you want to do, though that's pretty obvious. It's dustpan, so we'll get to that stuff. And then we're going to be talking about the bazaar, which would have been last week. And we're going to be talking about our favorite booths, what's the best booth to work at, and just our memories and the evolution of that and all that type of stuff. So let's get right to our conversation with Greg and Danny Silver. All right, and joining us here live now from Minerva, New York, at Family Camp, is Greg and Danny Silver. Guys, in the same room together this time. Only I'm here down south. But how is it up there at Family Camp so far? Uh, it's been great. I mean, it's it's not regular camp. You know, there's not <clears throat> that same flow with all the kids here all the time. But the first weekend, we had uh, pretty much, not all, but most of the waiters of 2020, waiters now of 2021, uh, and their families. It was beautiful weather, uh, a lot of hoops, a lot of lake, a little bit of medicine ball, a great uh, tennis tournament. Um, the talent show was unbelievable. So, Camp, the campfire. So, so dads versus uh, waiter softball. It was really, Maddie, I, I've used this line a few times with some people that have asked me. It was kind of like, while it, it, it's not regular camp, it's a, I feel like it was like a bucket list item, at least for the the parents, especially the dads of the waiters, it was like a bucket list item they didn't know they had. Um, obviously, the last four or five months have been difficult for everyone. But getting back to camp for four or five days and enjoying everything camp has to offer, even if it is for you know only a few days, and then also seeing your child enjoy themselves in a way they probably haven't the last four or five months, it was really special for all the parents that came and all the campers and waiters that came, um, whether the parents were alumni or not, we've gotten resounding positive reviews from everyone that we've talked to as their weekends have ended. And you know, we're looking forward to a new group coming on Thursday. Um, and uh, like Greg said, it hasn't been the same flow as regular camp, but it is unique and it has been so special. I think um, Danny had a good point the other day. When we're at Saturday services, there's that feeling uh, in the ring, in my council ring, uh, of, you know, we've, sh- we all share some inside jokes and like, you know, we, we kind of like, it feels like you've been, I think for the families, it feels like they've been at camp for a very long time. I think, especially for the waiter group, cause they came on Wednesday by the time we got to Saturday services, it kind of felt like, yeah, you had the whole been, arc yeah. of like a full camp week kinda where felt like they had been there. You know? Yeah. And, um, same thing with, with the talent shows, you know, Rick is obviously amazing and, you know, he had days worth of inside jokes to, to fall back on during his emceeing. And it was like, you know, typical Rick stand-up comedy. And, you know, him and Mick had like a whole shtick at Saturday assembly. And we had old, we it had was old, some normalcy. We bizarre chairman do like a little report on the bazaar, uh, virtual bazaar. And we had... Yeah, it, um, it, there was just... Yeah, some rabbis, you know, it was great. It, it, felt, it felt normal. The weather was gorgeous. You know, the sounds were familiar. And, you know... It, it, it was good to have something. And, uh, you know, we're looking forward to more of this, this coming week. So Yeah, for sure. And hopefully everyone will be back next year. But this is a nice substitute given the circumstances. So the first day of summer, 
basically there's everything about the first day of camp is good, right? You know, you get there, you get off the bus, you have your trunks, you're shelling them down, you see the lake for the first time, you're like, we made it back. And everything's going good, you're unpacked, and you know, you're ready to rock, and you're maybe you're playing a quick game of football with your friends on the upper before the all-camp counseling. And then, you know, you look to your left a little in the bunk, and you just see the dreaded job chart. <laughs> it's tough. It's just, you know, you see week one bathroom, and you're like, everything was going good on my day until I found that I had to clean the bathroom every day. So that's basically how I feel about the cleanup jobs. So in terms of what's the best job, I think we need to do a few things. I'm not one who's uh, particularly known for my cleanliness, um, per se, but there's some people that, like, really deeply care how clean the bunk is. Like, in my bunk, there's just people, there's certain people who are just, you know, neat and tidy. If you want a clean bunk, what do you think is the best job to have? If you're willing to work for it and you want the bunk to look good at the end, like, if you want to take matters... If you're a clean type of person, what's the best job? Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, let's just set the table here with cleanup. Cleanup happens twice a day. It is a necessary, I'll say e- evil, but... It's not even evil, though. Period. It's it's a very, it's um, it's a part of camp. Like, you can't yeah, have camp without a, cleanup. It's such a group activity it's a group effort it's also really it's, the only time when you're with your counselors that live with you I mean, that that's what being a bunk counselor is is the the cleanups I and mean, that's when you're in the bunk with the kids um so it's such an important piece of just like the cohesion that's built within a bunk and the counselor relationship and all that and obviously you know we we joke we say you know cleanup is serious or whatever summer whatever camp is yeah, fun but cleanup, cleanup is serious, is serious. But a clean bunk is usually a happy bunk. I mean, I've been saying that for years. You know, with the bunk that, you know, is messy, is conducive to other issues coming up. So cleanup is so important. And if we just want to list the jobs first, like the classic jobs that we're, that we're choosing sweep, from. You there's sweep, pan. there's dustpan. Outside, line outside lines, outside lines and grounds, if you want to combine them. Bathroom. There's bathroom. Miscellaneous. There's, sometimes there's closet which is always a weird one. Uh, there's miscellaneous. Sometimes there is... Sometimes there's a day off. Right? Yes. Sometimes there's a day I've off. I've never heard of that. I wish um, I had counseled it to that. Sometimes there is garbage. Um, that I, The way we've done garbage over the years has changed a handful of times. Um, sometimes there's two sweeps. Yeah, sometimes there's two sweeps. Sweep one, sweep two. Sometimes, you know, depending on what right. bunk you live in... I think for me, the when I was a kid, the, the one I would pump my fist when I knew it was my day to do is dustpan. I of course. think we've actually talked about this on a previous thing. Is dustpan is really not that hard. You know, you could basically get away with doing very little throughout the cleanup. You know, it's funny. I was thinking about like sports analogies to, in terms of like how important it is to help your team winning oh, the game. Dustpan is like the closer. It's like the closer. You know, the sweep is, is yeah, the starter. But in terms of, like, the importance to the team, I mean, bathroom's got to be, like, your Dennis Rodman type. You know, the dirty work, no one wants to do it, but your team doesn't work unless that bathroom... When the bathroom gets nasty, like, it's really nasty. You need the guy... I feel like 
in terms of the closet, that's like the Dion Waiters heat check guy. You know, three days a week, the closet's fine. No one does anything. Then all of a sudden, one day, laundry comes back. There's, you know, an indoor day. And that closet is just a bomb. And all of a sudden, you know, you're in full swing. You're the most important one in the bunk. So that's why I feel like that's that's the heat check one. And It's a great analogy, by the way. It's totally true. Like, I, like you don't need it to show up all the time you need like an irrational confidence guy that can get you a quick fit yeah you gotta court. get a you gotta yeah, get a quick one exactly and then garbage i mean obviously we have to mention artist gilmore the garbage man but i don't actually know in a basketball sense if he quite relates to the guard what would you say is a garbage analogy i mean the garbage, the garbage has changed so much over yeah. the years it's kind of like the mound in baseball or like the juice ball like garbage used to be you had to tie it up and then walk it to the back of bunk four where there was like a dumpster. Really? I mean, when what? That was really long time. Is that ago. true? Oh, I, like, I never. That's actually like very interesting. Throw it outside and it gets picked up. So, I didn't know that. So you used to have to like if you were in somewhere, yeah. if you were down the hill, you had to walk the garbage to bunk four. And there might have been two spots. Two. I, I don't remember. I would say, you know, when we talk about cleanup. It doesn't get overlooked outside lines and grounds, you know, but like we've talked about bathroom, we've talked about suite, we've talked about the in the bunk stuff. Outside lines and grounds is, I mean, that's like top of the order kind of stuff, like first and second batters. The key of outside lines and grounds is that if you don't want the inspector, whether it be the group leader or the adults, like, you know, Danny does intermediate, Rick does juniors, Mick does Kaiser House, Spencer does up the hill. And you don't want the like to get ripped apart because of a messy bunk. If you have a good outside lighting grounds, it sort of keeps the bugs away. Like it keeps the inspector away, at least for a little bit, so you can get the work done inside. Yeah, you know what I was thinking? I feel like the outside lines and grounds is like your JJ Reddick. Because you can have a team that's not good at shooting. Like last year's Philly team, for example. You got Simmons and Bede. Not a lot of butler, not a lot of great shooting. But like you put JJ Reddick on the team, it's like, yeah. They've some shooting. JJ Reddick's there. You don't. You don't need to. You can ignore the flaw. You can ignore the flaw of the core of the team if you just have you know one sharpshooter and you know you. It's not ideal, but you sort of get it done. You push it out to the side and move on to the next issue. I, I think outside lines and grounds involves a little bit more selflessness than some of the other jobs. Totally. Because number one, like. If you're doing grounds, you're literally picking up trash that anybody could have put there. It's not just necessarily people from your bunk. Whereas sweeping, you're sweeping up dirt that your bunk created. And then also without outside outside line of grounds is you're bringing in like people's bathing suits. You got to find the label. You got to like hand it to them. There's just a lot of responsibility and it's sort of different every time. Also like your threshold for what's dry enough for you to bring your item back in. Right. It's like, yeah, this is dry enough for me, but... It's not dry enough for this guy, so like I don't want to deal with this stuff. So I'm not. So I'm gonna pretend like it's still wet. Yeah, and then it just comes down to standards. Like, like if you have like if Dan, let's say Danny has outside lines one day, and then I have it the next day, and the you know the bathing suits aren't hung up by the string or the towels are on the ground, like it can create some friction because he's making my job harder if he didn't do if he didn't have the same attention to detail. So I think to answer your original question, like which job do you want if you are someone who really tries to keep, if you're a clean person, I think I might go, I mean, other than sweep, which is the obvious answer, I, outside line and ground is a big one because it's just, it's, it's how you present yourself to the rest of camp. I think that Danny made the key point about outside lines and grads. You can easily make the case 
something, if there's like one little spot of a towel that's wet, you can pretty easily make the case that it deserves to be out for, you know, another day. Yeah, so you don't have to take it, it in. Leave know. it, you know, with the job chart switching over the next day. Leave it for the next yeah. guy. Well, the other thing with outside lines and grounds, as you can tell, I have strong feelings on this one, or just on the whole outside lines and grounds topic. I, people link them all the time. Like, oh, outside lines and grounds, outside lines and grounds. It's usually one line. The two jobs couldn't be yeah, more different. so different. The, the only, the only thing they have in common is that they're outside. Grounds is like neglected the outside, sometimes. The, the outside line, we talked about it, is... You know, it's almost like a, uh, it's almost like an ethical situation. Like, how honest are you being about your criteria of what's dry and what's not? And are you really going to hang up this guy's stuff the right way? But outside grounds is just a straight up black and white. Pick up the trash. Is there, you know, is there litter? Is there not? And how far outside of your bunk circle are you going to go? Um, outside grounds is a big one, and outside lines is a big one, but they're very different and. I'm going to go on record saying they should be two different jobs because they're different and they're both big and it's a lot of one person. I think there should be a movement. Uh, whoever is miscellaneous should also be dustman because miscellaneous is just such a great, it's such a great like escape. Oh, I'm going to the miscellaneous shack to go to the toilet paper. You could disappear for 20 minutes. I'm taking the long way. Yeah, taking the long way. Going to go check in on the infirmary. Uh, maybe I'll go see my camp buddy or my brother or whatever. Yeah, I'm thinking when about... When person comes back, they should have a dustpan waiting for them. I'm thinking about sweep in terms of the analogy. I feel like sweep's like playing defense, kind of, because every day the dirt piles in. Like, it's so unclear where the dirt comes from, but every day there's dirt. I feel like the sweeping has gotten progressively easier over the years. The sweeping's kind, it's kind of like offense in the NFL, right? The rules kind of open up because back even when I started coming to camp, you know, eight years ago... They still had a lot of the old school brooms with like the straws that came off in the middle, but like, and there was maybe, if you were lucky if your bunk had one like red broom that was, you know, solid. But now at this point, basically every broom in the camp is like a modern technology broom and the dirt comes off easily. So I feel like now it's the, the floor's really opened up, it's much easier. Um, it's like so you're saying it's like the no post open floor playing on AstroTurf can't touch the receiver and all exactly that it's like it's like you can't compare er- you can't compare errors because with the old technology like you can't compare what it was like you know to hit a ball before the ball was juiced it's like the it's like the um, bathroom used to be a whole different thing there used to be a ten, number 10 can with disinfectant in the bunk yeah now we now, have we have someone that goes through and yeah. actually disinfects bathroom is more just like a tidy yeah uh, bathroom yeah i mean you're still dealing with your scrubbing don't underestimate bathrooms some no i know somehow toothpaste gets in the cubbies in the bathroom like i never un- understood that um like I can understand a little bit, but like full two, you know, full like strips of toothpaste in the bathroom cubbies that never, you know, that never made a whole lot of sense to me. But um, there's also another thing about cleanup. When we were growing up in camp, I'm sure this is probably still the prevailing way to do it. Is you have one job one day, another job the next day, another job the next day. So you might be a sweep, then dustpan, then garbage, then miscellaneous, whatever. I know where you're going with this. But a couple of years ago, a counselor. I think it was Lay Eden was the first one I saw do it. You had a job for the full week. And there was real incentive to do it right. Because if you swept well 
one day or did outside line well one Isn't day. Isn't that what everyone does? Yeah, is that the prevailing way of doing it now? I've never heard of it being done another way. It's so odd. Okay. Of course so, it's a So week. people do have the jobs for a week now, right? But did it not used to be? No, it used to be. I mean, I know in the dining room, like, the waiters have a job for a week. But no, back in the day, it was your job changed every day. But having it for a week makes a lot more makes sense. a lot more sense because there's more incentive does, to do it well. Maddie, does the number on the job chart still dictate your number of sh- like shower order? Is that still only the- when you're yeah, only guy. when you're very young? Like I came when I was ten. That that wasn't a thing. Like really, when you're young, when like shower order matters. But like when I went to. When I was a kid, we had such arguments about, you know, who would be first shower and who would be first ski and who would get first cream cheese on, on Sundays, yeah. you know, that literally there was the job chart that dictated that stuff, but it switched every, every day, different from now where, you know, it doesn't switch till the week. Oh, being first ski and first shower or second shower, because like the first one, you got to like let the water warm yeah. up, you know, yeah, second shower. That was a big deal. And also, isn't it a, like, shouldn't the cleanup be graded on a sliding scale based on the proportion of people in the bunk to square footage? Like, uh, everybody's, everybody's, uh, I think I've made this, I think I've made this reference when I do my thing in uh, council ring on Saturdays when I give out whoever's, like, the best in- intermediate cleanup for, for the week is... Every bunk is different. Like every game is different. Every season's different. Every sport is different. Every counselor runs their I, shit. Yeah, it, it's um. Yeah, some bunks might be easier, but there's different challenges with everything. It's like, yeah, it's like when you have a better roster, you should have a better record. But there's new challenges that come with that. You like, know, like, like the now Sixers. All of a sudden Chris Bosh has to take a complementary role, or all of a sudden A Rod's on base percentage has to be higher because. You know, everybody's just a home runner. Yeah. Yeah. All right, and, and a final yeah. question here to close this topic out. Can you pinpoint, like, you who you think the best cleanup counselor is of all time that you've seen in your years? That's a good question. I mean, Brad Wolf was... You know, a lot of times the counselors that come from overseas that bring minimal stuff tend to be better with cleanup because they set a better example because their areas are so tidy. You know? They're just tidier people in general. Clean up counselor. Definitely wasn't your uncle Josh. I, mean, I remember rolling into bunk fourteen a couple of years ago and like they were at the foot of their beds, like was that it, Seb? In, no no no. It was it, like at the foot of foot of their beds, like ready to like present a museum to me. And I it was bunk fourteen. I'm trying to remember who it was. Feel terrible because like this counselor obviously did such a good job. I'm trying to um, think of who's the best. I, I just, you know, I was a pretty clean kid and I'm very organized and, you know, especially at camp because, you know, I, I have a small room. I want to be organized. And I, I think that cleanup is as important of a institution at camp or important as a activity as anything. And I think it trickles down into every other part of camp. I think it, it helps make the counselor trio more of a unit if they work well together and clean up and that those sorts of relationships are visible to the kids. I think it's, uh, it helps the morale of the staff when bunks are clean and it's just a clean bunk is a happier bunk. Agreed. And how's the, um, are you requiring to tie this back into the beginning with family camp? Are I, is there a cleaning requirement for, we are doing inspection 
reports at uh, at services, like at the assembly after services. But it's we're one, actually not allowed in the bunk. We're actually not allowed in the bunk. It's one family unit per bunk. So. Yeah, then we have a cleaning crew go in afterwards uh, uh-huh. and just, you know, cleaning it completely and even disinfecting the, the, the walkie-talkies that are in each bunk. All, yeah. <clears throat> but, so you're not allowed to... No, there's no job charts. I mean, you can make your own, but... I mean, families might have done that. I mean, some families were two people and some are like six people, so it's... I mean, I, I got a glimpse into a bunk the other day when I was helping families load up the golf cart to bring their stuff up to the parking lot, and it looked like they'd been living in there for, for the whole summer, you know? And then there's other people that, like, they probably never even went in the bunk, other than just for, like, sleep and maybe change. All right, so now we're going to move on to our second topic that we have on tap here for today. But before we get into what we like about the real bazaar that happens every year at camp, for obvious reasons, it's not happening this summer, but there are still so many great ways that you can donate out there. Of course, you can just go onto the Bazaar Foundation website, straight up donate whatever amount you like to just support the foundation and all the great things it does. But what I'd recommend is going to the Big Ocean Hour Bazaar Foundation Bonfire website, where there's a lot of great t-shirts out there. There's, of course, your Big Ocean Hour Bazaar 2020, but spelled as bizarre because it is a bizarre 2020 and then my personal favorite if you have some podcast pride you can get a live from lake balfour t-shirt uh with our logo on it so you know support the pod with that and there's a great milk and cookies t-shirt too so let's get back into what we were talking about about the bazaar but i just wanted to quickly mention that so make sure to go on that website and don't miss those t-shirts all right so now what we're gonna do though because that's the virtual bazaar but what we're gonna do here is we're going to be talking about past bazaars so you know you mentioned this to me before the show started how the bazaar really just hasn't changed much in the years you guys have been going to camp and of course a staple of the bazaar is the booths so we figured we would rank the booths here at bazaar our favorite booths and then we're also going to be ranking the shifts but let's start with the booths so Danny, what is your favorite bizarre booth? Like if well, before, Danny, before Danny goes, I want to be clear that there, there, there has been changes to booths. I know it feels like there hasn't been, but there, there has been. I don't think there's been any major like earth-shattering shifts to it. Nice pun there. Uh, but um, I think we all kind of think it stays it has stayed the same, but but it hasn't. There's yeah, I think, sure I think a lot of the details. I think. You know, from when I, from when I was a bizarre chairman in 1997, the improvements since then. You know everything from, uh, you know, for for example, the idea that you guys had last year with taking the photographs around camp and turning them into those amazing canvas paintings and selling those. And you know, in '04 there was the the Bakeopoly where they turned camp into a monopoly board, and um, you know, just the creativity that's gone into some of the merchandise and the seven over seven under boards and. Um, you know, you do have your staples like chuck a buck and dunk the counselor and shave the balloon and, you know, hot dogs and ham- and hamburgers. But there, there has been a change in the appearance of a lot of the booths, um, you know, and the auction and all that. You know, that didn't start until the mid-90s, um, you know, when I was already in the senior division. So um, there has been change, but it is a classic Baco Chanawa event. Um, that brings familiarity to all, you know, walks of generations that have been, that have been through camp. But um, if we're going favorite booths, straight like, out, yeah. Um, I think if I had to choose, you know, it's very cliche to say seven over, seven under, or to say Chuckabuck. Um, 
think one I always really enjoyed as a little kid, I mean, it's kind of random, but Little Saratoga. Yeah. I always kind of like Little Saratoga, where, you know, you pick your horse and you roll the dice. If it lands on your number, then you move one space. Probably doesn't get a whole lot of action, but as a kid, it's exciting. I got to say, I am a Little Saratoga fan myself. I mean, it's like the... Baco manual manually done version of like the one you get at the arcade where you know you like have to put the thing in the hole and then your horse moves forward. It's like the low scale version of that, but I like that one. I feel like Chuck a Buck's an interesting one. Um, so I think when we were campers, Greg and I, and maybe even when we were counselors, the way Chuck a Buck worked was you actually wrote your name on a dollar. And it went into the jar, and then they picked the dollar. Is out. that dollar considered now, legal tender? Now if... you write it. Now you pay the dollar, and you write your name on like a raffle ticket or a slip or whatever. My my dream in life was always one day to get back as change a chuck a buck dollar that I put in, like somewhere at a bazaar, like put it in at the bazaar. Like and then, came and, you and buy, then four years later, yeah, I met you, you know you know some bodega on the corner in manhattan i get a dollar back and it says my name on it but um but those days are over now um but uh the shaving the balloon is another one that's like a signature bizarre event like if you're looking oh you know i'm gonna go to the bazaar i'm gonna shave a balloon you know it's like uh and what what else i, I think the marriage booth is a classic one i just think, I think it's a great it's like a hilarious concept i think uh the ping, you know, the DJ booth, you know, paying for some songs. I definitely went through a phase where I spent a lot of money on that. Um, I'd never get there in time for the ice cream booth. By the time I get there, it's like what I want is gone. Um, I, I would say Chocobuck is my, probably my classic. Right. Another thing that's changed is what bunks do which booths. Yeah. So the year before waiters, when I was a camper, and even when I was a counselor, I always did hot dogs and hamburgers. And now I believe... It's slightly younger than it's the upper K. Yeah, and um, you know the silent auction wasn't always a staple. I know it's become a staple recently. Well, the silent auction is an interesting one because we last year with the bazaar we added a lot of those canvases that we uh, had photographed by kids in camp, and then we printed them out, and then we had them for auction. So I think it's a good mix because there's also you know you get the sports memorabilia there that it comes back every year. Like, I think there's the same, like, every year I walk by that thing, it's the same, like, 12 autograph pictures, and it's like, man, I wish I had that thing. But every year it just comes back. I see it again. So I feel like the silent auction, like, maybe not everyone is going in there to actually buy something, but everyone takes a look around and says, like, I wish I had that in my room. It's a staple. I think my favorite zone to hang out in during the bazaar is by all of those booths by the social hall. Like the Shave the Balloon, the Dunk the, con- the, the, dunk the Counselor, the Basketball Hoop, the, where there used to be the, you know, hit the salami with a dart. I don't think that's an event anymore. <laughs> uh, the Chuck Above, I, mean, I love that whole row, like that shakedown street there. I mean, I don't know if my favorite booths are there, but I usually find myself hanging out there the most. Um, I also will say that, and I love a good burger, for some reason, the burgers at the bazaar is better. They're so, it's some of the best burgers that, that I'll ever have. Maybe it's because the you know the, the joy in the air and the people that 
you know, everyone's there having fun. We're all wearing our bizarre shirts. Well, I'm pretty it's sure that it's a I'm pretty, I think it's a pretty safe assumption that they're the exact same burgers as they are yeah, every other. Yeah, but for other. some reason they taste better. Do they though? All right. I think they do. Going back to your original question, what's my favorite booth? One booth. Right now you're sitting in an empty camp. If you could just, the bazaar would have been last weekend. If you could just right now transport yourself back to one booth right now, where are you going? I'm going with Little Saratoga. I mean, wow. Pitcherina fun. Uh, what's the one where you drop the ping pong in the, with the rubber band tracks? Oh, and it, yeah. um, forgot what it's called, but I got to go with Little Saratoga, but I'm going to qualify it with. Perhaps the most important booth is the DJ booth because the soundtrack at the bazaar plays a critical role. Um, and you know what? Actually, the merchandise booth. I'm sorry, that's number one. The merchandise booth is must is a must hit. You gotta get in there. You gotta come out with something. Um, if I go through a bazaar without hitting Little Saratoga, I'm, I'm I'm okay. But if I go to a bazaar and I don't hit the merch booth, it's incomplete. I'm a big merch booth guy. Always have. Are you a, a big, big like special? Are you a big like yearly specialty bazaar item that's like only a one-off year guy? Um, the pink long sleeve t-shirts I was not, but a lot of the Baker Shinawa gadgets like the water bottle or the socks or the bumper sticker. I always make sure that I have those. Um, sometimes the clothing isn't my style, like the cotton tank or the. Short sweat shorts, that's not my style. Um, but sometimes, you know, there are ones that I just need to have. So the merch booth is number one, the Little Saratoga number two. Yeah, my funniest story from Bazaar, and I think this speaks to the evolution, like there's slight tweaks in the Bazaar as we go through the years. This was the summer that I was working at the soda station, right? And... They had never, it didn't occur to them that people would want water at the soda station. Like, this is just five years ago. Like, it was assumed that everyone there wanted soda. So there was no water there. And, like, I just, and I remember going over to Bob and being like, hey, like, there's no water here at this thing. He was like, who wants water here? And I was like, there's people. <laughs> like that at the banquet. Everyone gets the two liters. Exactly. Of soda there's no, no one gets water. Yeah, you know, there's some people that, that still want water. Um, I think all the booths are are, are incredible. Um, such a fun event, but obviously a big uh, a big factor is what shift you work. Yeah, you shift. Know? shift booths, booths are only part of the story, but like, what shift do you do? Yeah, for every booth, there's an equal and opposite shift. Well, is it better? Is it better to, I mean, working the booth is fun in its own right, because, like, especially... The the factors of the booth, the shifts are this. So let's just say we're doing the classic three shifts. All right, I'll do that. A couple of campers work shift one, a couple of campers work shift two, and then a couple of campers work work shift three. I think the most important thing, the most important thing about the shift is how old you are. And whether or not your family is there. If you're a young kid and your family is visiting and you have first shift, like your parents, you know, might be looking for you, your grandparents are there, they gotta oh, you're oh, you're on your shift. All right, I guess you know, the parents will have to hang out there, the visitors will hang out there. But by the time you become a teenager and you wanna plan your shift around what the 
what the girls' shifts are, right? Like, oh, I, I got to do second shift because the girl I might want to talk to also has second shift. So, and then I think there's a couple of booths that by third shift, the booth's like over, right? So you want to pick third shift, then you don't have to work a booth. Well, that's I mean, a, that's a, I, I actually you know, disagree with that. I mean, you want, do you want first shift, but have to deal with, the labor of opening where you got to grab your, your, your jar, you know, your bucket and work on, on the opening, but then you have the rest of the day to yourself. Or do you want the last shift where you have the extended time before, then you got to work on the cleanup where no one wants second shift. But now that I think about it, second shift might be the best one because you don't have to deal with opening or closing. So here's my opinion. I'm a huge second shift guy. Here's why. I feel like the magic of the bazaar is that first shift when, like, the waiters get on the mic on the 7 over 7 under. You have, like, the piles of alumni and people just, like, pouring in. And you have everyone coming together. Like, that's where the magic is. When the waiters... You want to be freed up there. You want to be freed up to, you know, crowd around the 7 over 7 under when, like, one guy puts an 100 on. And the waiters are begging him to double it. Um... And then, when, of course, when you lose, it's for charity, um, which is the, <laughs> the classic response. The, but putting some, watching one guy put in 100 on 7 is a classic. So I think you've you got to be around for that part. And then by the end, you know, people are migrating over to the hill. You don't, really don't want to clean up these things as a, a bizarre chairman who had to clean up a lot of the things. You don't want to be the ones where, you know, people are clearing out and people are getting situated in the hill and, like, you're just stuck behind picking up, you know, trying to collect the dice that may have gone into the grass or on the stone. Or, you know, you don't want to be that guy. So I'm a huge second shift fan, personally. I, I totally agree with you, which it's, you know, you're kind of saying the same thing that I was. But for some reason, when you're a kid, you want to be first or third so you can have the consecutive shifts off. But second shift might be where it's at. Yeah, Matt has always been a big second shift guy. Yeah, yeah I'm, a, I'm a big... And as for my favorite booth, I just want to say quickly, I mentioned that story with Bob at the uh, soda stand, and I'm actually a biggest fan of the soda stand because not what you're actually doing during it, but in terms of who you see there. Because, like, over the course of the two hours, let's say, or hour and a half that you're getting during that stand, either working at the soda shift or just, like, being in that section everyone has to go get something at some point everyone's thirsty at some point it's a hot day you're bound to see like you have to see you have every anyone you want to see at some point you're gonna see them by the soda and water stand uh it's just a fact so you can't there's so many people there sometimes people get lost so you say hi to someone and then you don't see them or if it's a you know past counselor you've had or alumni you don't see them and then they have to come to the soda stand at some point, and probably they'll pick up a burger too, but, like, you never know. So that's why I'm a big proponent of the soda stand in terms of, you know, it's just the place everyone has to be there at some point. There's no one who skips out on that. And I guess you could say I the same to your point I about think we're answering merch. two different questions, though. Like, you're answering what's the best shift to, or what's the best booth to work at. 
I'm talking about what's the best booth to visit as a consumer. Well, if you're lazy, the best booth to work at is the silent auction because you, Danny, handle the financial transaction of the silent auction, meaning the people are working there are just glorified marketers. Uh, so if you're lazy, the best shift is there. But, I, you know, I want to feel like I'm doing something, though. You don't feel productive sitting yeah, around guys, the silent the, auction. The guys that worked the last shift of the, of the silent auction helped me clean. Um, but, yeah, I mean, for the merchant... If it wasn't for the silent auction, we wouldn't have that Cliff Floyd picture above our desk yeah. in the last 15 years. <laughs> but the merchandise booth is definitely my favorite one as a consumer, but it would be brutal to work at. Where I totally agree with you. The soda, I don't love visiting it because there's usually a line and... You know, but working, it's great. It's like you're the Richmeister sitting next to uh, the copy machine on the, on, on, <laughs> on SNL. Like, you get to see everyone. Um, can I just say one more thing about the Bazaar, though? Of course. The, the, the Bazaar shirts, obviously, every year is a different color scheme, and a lot of thought goes into it, and that's probably a podcast we could do just about the shirts. But the Bazaar shirts are such a staple of like camp who is the it's a symbol for the summer it's it's so unique in a camp filled with good t-shirts it's like right there on the top on the top shelf who Um, is the person that was the proponent of putting the year like what year was the year put on the shirt 1990 was the first and who was the who was the leader of the put the year on the shirt charge there were years on the shirts originally, and then there was a few years in the late 90s where they weren't. Um, but the shirts had years on them uh, for the most part, all the way through. And if but you had to rank... People like, yeah, sorry. Even people that didn't go to camp or that go to other camps, they want these Baker Schnauer Bazaar shirts. Like, it, it, they are collector's items. They it's are... It's also a whole, like, review on services, you know, yeah. uh, or at the assembly of... You know what the colors going to be, and everyone's like, like everyone cares about it. Everybody. That may shirts be the hottest I've. I, that may be the hottest I've ever been because I remember when we revealed the shirts. It was like a raining. It was like a muggy, humid day out, and my co-chair Eli and I were going to reveal the shirts, but it was in the social hall, and we were just like, I don't even remember why we did this. I guess we were, you know, looking for the dramatic effect, but. We wore like six layers, and we we're just sitting there yeah, in this social. Like I probably had like four sweatshirts on. It was it was really unnecessary, but. Pants on a hot day, guy. Anyway, but just you know, we we wear the shirts as shooting shirts for basketball tournaments. We wear them for jersey to baseball tournaments. People see me in an airport with, with it, and they they even if they don't even know about camp, they there's ask what, what it means. There's a great picture of you and Jermaine Jackson. Yeah, there is a great picture of me and Jermaine Jackson, but. The, I just the, think it's such a special event. The the shirts like are almost a microcosm of how awesome it is, and maybe that's a podcast for another time. Out of curiosity, what's your favorite color scheme that there's been? I know there's controversial. What's mine and yours? What's, I know the consensus at uh, camp. I liked the, the the dark blue one with the light blue writing from a couple of years ago. Oh, really? Um, Interesting. Like the one from two years ago. Hot take. Right. Yeah, I really like that. No, but I also like the, I think it was 2010, the, the orange year. Was that 2011? The that, orange, that was orange. Like the, the long orange. Tech, yeah. That was burnt like, orange. No, I, I'm not a burnt orange guy. I think the best physical, like actual feeling of a shirt 
the 90, the 2009 light blue, I still rock that. It's starting to get a little frayed. And then the 94, which was my year, the black with the white writing and no year, it's just an older sort of material and it's hangs better. For me, I'm 2011 purple with gold writing, like the Laker colors, obviously. But um, I like the 2015 where it's like the lighter turquoise, almost blue with the gold writing. Yeah. It's a very Baco. That's not Chanel. No, 2015. Yeah. Um, but the classic 1991 with the, the royal blue with the red writing that they reprised in 2014 is a classic too. And the 99 and 03, that, that, yeah. that royal blue. That, that, that scheme was was, was good, right? I, was, I like when we started doing the... Not blues. royal blue. Uh, 90 and 2014 was like a lighter blue. Like yeah, it was a lighter blue. blue. Yeah. Um. Um, but yeah, who knows? Maybe we could do that as a podcast maybe bring on the guys that uh i know one of the bizarre chairmen from the original year of the shirts i don't know how involved he was in getting the shirts to happen but he was at fam- family camp and i still associate him with like the original shirt yeah you know he was 16 I think years I, old. I, I, I spoke he, to him about it this weekend he probably had nothing to do with it but you know um, it's good history yeah. so of course next year one more, th- one more thing on bizarre maddie mm-hmm. it's one of the very few things at camp that i really don't have much to do with you know, I'm very involved with... I remember you saying that camp. to me last year. Yeah, I'm just not... Yeah, when you were the chairman, I think I told you that. I'm, I'm a participant, and I, I enjoy it, and I you know I do some of the programming before and after. But as far as the bizarre, the planning of it, I don't really have... Like, Danny's probably more involved in that because he does the silent auction. Yeah, I used to be more involved, but it, Allison and Jane... Um, kind of lead, lead that charge as you know and then the chair of people from Bank of Chinawa, um, you know it's a great op- op- opportunity it's a great thing to put on your college uh, you know it's just a great experience to be able to be in a leadership role for something that raises so much money yep. um, and it's just a great all camp activity it's so unique it's you know I don't know many camps or any camps that do it quite like we do or at all um, just an amazing thing um, help so many people. Yeah. All right, so that'll about wrap it up. Thank you guys for listening to this week's episode. We will be back later with some more bagel theme content. I know we have some more 30 for 30s we're planning down the pipeline, and we have a couple more deep dives coming on. So I'm your host, Maddie Wasserman. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will see you next time on the Live from Lake Balfour podcast.